Well, Pastor Paul here out on the back porch. Thought it would be a nifty idea to enjoy the brisk, cool air on the back porch this morning. But right about now, I'm beginning to seriously question my sanity in making that decision. But but listen, we're live and the die is cast and we are going to, to soldier through in the 40 degree weather. But welcome as we are in day four of our walk through the book of Exodus. And we're going to be talking about the birth of Moses this morning. So we're going to be in Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Tell you what, I'm going to read this passage and pray. And we're going to see what God has in store for us this morning. But first, let me warm my esophagus. All right, here we go. Exodus 2, um, beginning with verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I draw him out of the water. Let's pray. Lord, um, an extraordinary passage and an extraordinary reminder of how you are behind everything, how you are controlling, how you are sovereign, how you are um, orchestrating things um, for the good of your people, for the preservation of your people, and remind us that you're doing the same uh, here in the 21st century. So Lord, bless us now as we uh, jump into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Obviously, Moses, and this is interesting, this, is, this part of the story of Exodus is autobiographical because we know that Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and um, he, is, he is penning these books as the Israelites are on their way to the Promised Land. He's teaching them about their heritage, where they came from, but most importantly about God and his promises and his purpose for them. And here we have the account of the birth of Moses himself. So obviously this was passed down to Moses as part of the oral tradition from his, from his family and from, from the people of God, no doubt. And, and remember the context. Um, the Israelites have endured 400 years of blessed favor. God has um, delivered them from the famine in Palestine. They are now down in Egypt. They've been given the choices of land. The pharaohs knew them. Their patron saint was Joseph, who had saved the nation. 
And, um, but now 400 years later, things sort of change like that. There's a change in dynasties. There's a turnover, someone who's not um, partial to Joseph or his family or the people of Israel. They took a look around at the millions of Israelites who are now in the land. They're threatened by them. They don't know them and they begin to oppress them. They begin to, they enslave them, they put them to work. And now we, we enter sort of third phase of them putting Israel under the thumb. The Pharaoh has ordered that all of the Israelite boys who are born are to be slaughtered, are to be, are to be killed. And, and, but we, as we saw last time, just as Pharaoh was shrewd in dealing with the Israelites, the midwives were shrewd in dealing with um, these baby boys that were born. And here we have the account of one of those babies, um, a man that by this point in time, um, the Israelites would have known well as the most important central prophetic figure in their history to this point, and that's Moses. Now, I want to note maybe five things about this passage, and these are in no particular order, but five things I think that we can gather, learn, and draw from as we look at the miraculous circumstances of what's happened to Moses. Now, because Moses is the author of Genesis and Exodus, we should be able to see similarities in writing and theology, and we clearly we do. So, if you, so what's interesting when you look at the birth of Moses and how God is protect and how how He is protected, how His mom protects him, how He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, how he, how He's taken into the court and protected, and how we know of course, that Moses is going to grow up to be uh, the savior of the people of Israel. What's interesting is that we don't see God's name one time in this passage, right? Not not one time. Um, what we do see is the providential hand of God guiding every circumstance of the birth and preservation of Moses. And, and who should that remind us of? Well, people of Israel would be reading this, and it would remind them, of course, of Joseph, um, where Joseph, where God was clearly orchestrating the life of Joseph, the preservation of Joseph, the throwing into the pit of Joseph, um, taking a horrible circumstance of betrayal and turning it into salvation. And as they're reading this, they would say, well, God is not mentioned explicitly, but clearly God is over everything. God is, God is all over He's the backdrop of this whole story that, that here the people of Israelites are being oppressed and um, they're crying out to God for their release. Um, and the way that God works through the circumstances of Pharaoh ordering the death of all firstborn male children is to raise up and put one of those very male children in his own house. Um, I mean, just think about all the, the providential circumstances. He's, he's hidden. Um, he's, quote-unquote, discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh um, herself. He is, um, he's, given, he's given back to his own mother to nurse him, okay, um, until he's old enough to go live in the palace in which he will be in the safest place, humanly speaking, in the world. And again... Moses is wanting to us to, to recognize and have our eyes open to the fact 
that God is everywhere. God is never not present. God is working all things for the good of his people. God is never, he may be, he may be quiet, okay, in the background, but he's never silent. He's always working. He's always, he's always moving. And we need to be reminded of that today. Um, you may go through times in your day where God doesn't seem to be particularly present, right? You don't feel particularly close to him. Well, that's, but in reality, he's everywhere all the time, never ceasing his work. And so just pray that God will open your eyes to that, to that reality, to that fact, that truth. Okay, observation number two. I'm going to start to speed this up a little bit. Observation number two. It says that Moses' mother built for him this little basket with, with vitamin and, and, and tar and rock. And this was, it was, it was in, in an essence, okay, a little boat, a little ark. This wasn't like a picnic basket. This was, a, this was actually a vessel to stick Moses in. It would have been covered and um, set afloat down the Nile with his sister, who we know later is Miriam, keeping an eye to see, to make sure nothing happened to him, to see if, in fact, he would be um, discovered. Now, interestingly, the word for basket here occurs only one other time in the Old Testament, and that's in reference to the ark, okay, and and Noah's ark. And, and here, Moses is going to be drawing the attention of the Israelite reader to the fact that that just as an ark at one time saved Noah and his family from judgment, okay, um, and provided rescue, provided salvation, well, now God is once again providing salvation, um, rescue by virtue of an ark, this time holding a tiny baby. And, and so here Moses is kind of paralleling the life of Noah and the life of Moses that God preserved um, each of these men and their families, because we know we go on to find out that Aaron, Moses' brother, Miriam, his sister, you know, play a very prominent role um, in in his life and ministry and in the nation of Israel. And and once again, he's Moses is drawing our attention to the fact that God is orchestrating, authoring salvation first with the basket or ark for Noah, and now for the basket or the ark for Moses. Third thing to note about this passage is the prominent place of water um, in the book of Exodus. Okay, so so now the water theme um, was very prevalent in Genesis as, as well, right? So the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water, the deep, and God was bringing order from chaos in Genesis 1 and 2. And then the, the, the same waters became the waters of judgment that God rescued his people from and punished the wicked back in Genesis 6. Well, now in the same way, we're going to see water plays the same prominent role. See, the Nile was the place of all life, okay, for the Egyptians. And here, um, God is giving life through, um, not just to the Egyptians materially, he's giving life to the Israelites spiritually, right? So, so he's drawn the idea that the Nile is the salvation of the, of the Egyptians in terms of their physical needs, but it's the, it's the side of salvation for the Israelites and their spiritual deliverance. And, and as we're going to see, the, the water plays a prominent role in the plagues. 
And of course, Moses is just preparing us for the fact that water is going to play a hugely prominent role, okay, in the deliverance of God's people and the punishment of the Egyptians, where? At the Red Sea, of course. And, and so it's just one of those little foreshadowing things that Moses is dropping in here for us to, to draw our attention to the fact of, of how water plays such a symbolic place um, in the life and history of Israel. A fourth thing to note, and then I'll maybe just mention this briefly, is that um, we, we are told that Moses comes from the, the tribe of Levi. And, and the Israelites would have immediately recognized this for what it was, that the tribe of Levi, of course, were the ones who would provide the, the priestly class. They were the ones who would represent um, the people to God through their sacrifices and priestly service. And so um, by mentioning that he was from the tribe of Levi, Moses is reminding the people that, that he, in fact, is God's chosen. He has come from the Levitic tribe, that, that he is to be the mediator, right, between God and man, between them and God. Moses is the one who leads them. He's the one who prays for them. He's the one who offers sacrifices for them. And, of course, in this, Moses is a shadow, a prefigure of whom? Well, well Jesus, of course. And that brings me to my fifth and final observation about this passage. That it's very clear here, I think, that um, the birth story of Moses, okay, is used by the gospel writers, particularly Matthew, to, to show how Moses is a shadow or is a type and is pointing us to Jesus. Now, if you ever have time, read this passage, Exodus 2, and then the, read the path, passage of the birth of Jesus in Matthew 2, and you will see amazing similarities all the way from the fact that an evil king wants to kill all the baby boys, all right? So not only is it's, it's, it's Pharaoh and the Hebrew children here, but of course in um, 1,500 years later in Palestine, it's Herod and the boys of, of the, the region of Bethlehem and Judea. And so, so there's a wicked king trying to destroy um, God's chosen, God's anointed. There is God in his providential care, sovereign care, preserving um, those boys through providential, miraculous circumstances. Um, it's interesting that Moses, in, in order to deliver his people, Moses has to deliver his people out of Egypt, okay? But in order for Christ to be delivered, he, remember, he has to go down to Egypt, okay, and spend a portion of his childhood there. And so clearly, this is this is... Matthew's not-so-subtle way of reminding us that, yes, up to that point, Moses was the most important central figure in the life of ancient Israel. But one has come now who is greater than Moses, who has also delivered his people, who is um, the prophet that Moses pointed to and promised, that he is um, going to be not just a priest but a prophet, and not just a priest and a prophet but a king. And, and, and so, so all of these stories are not just nifty stories, again, given to us so we can learn important moral lessons. They are, in fact, um, at their deepest root, meant to point us to Christ, that we would see Jesus. And this is what Matthew does in Matthew 2 as he points back to Exodus 2. So, so those are just five observations. Um, encourage you to think about, pray on, meditate on those things today, and be challenged, encouraged to see 
God's own care and providence in your life, um, and which we particularly need to be reminded of in this season, every season, but yet particularly this one, right? Where um, we're coming up on a year now of, of COVID restriction and there's political and civil unrest and, and racial divide and political divide and religious divide. And we want to stop and pause and reflect and say none, none of this is outside the sovereign hand and care of God. He is working all these things for the spiritual good of his people. All right, so that's Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Um, we'll be together tomorrow for our last devotional of the week. We're going to look at how uh, Moses grows up, rises to prominence, and then has to flee, and how God uses this as part of the very crucial point of preparation for him leading the people of Israel. Okay, thanks for joining us. Let me pray. Lord, we again thank you for this day. Lord, open our eyes to see your um, ever-present help, your ever-present presence, and how you are guiding and directing us in all things. And Lord, most of all, help us to see behind the story of Moses that it's pointing us to someone greater, someone mightier, someone stronger, uh, someone more perfect um, to whom Moses pointed to. And that's you, Jesus Christ. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. See you guys tomorrow.